What are the three words a bride thinks of most on her wedding day? I'll alter him. (laughs) It's an old joke, but you know, trying to change your spouse is a risky strategy for any marriage. And the truth is, it's one that is almost certainly doomed to failure. So today I'm sharing another of the life lessons I've learned in over 50 years of walking with Jesus. And this one relates to marriage. But the truth is, it also relates to our own spiritual growth. You're listening to Divine Connections, a podcast about connecting the truth you believe to the life you really live. I'm your host, Kelly J. Grace, and this is Episode 5, I'll Alter Him. Now, there's a quote attributed to Benjamin Franklin that says, Keep your eyes wide open before marriage and half shut afterwards. Well, while that's maybe sage advice, it's really not very practical. Because it's almost impossible not to see the problems or the conflicts, or even more, to feel the hurt and frustrations and anger that happen from time to time in every single marriage, yours and mine included. Now, don't get me wrong. Marriage can be completely awesome and fulfilling. It can be the source of incredible joy, real delight, and significant meaning in life. But marriage isn't easy. It does not always come naturally to two people, and I guarantee it will introduce into your life a million opportunities, large and small, for you to grow as a Christian. So here's what I've found as a rule. There's more opportunity to apply God's Word in marriage than almost any other area of life. But that's not why most people get married, is it? I mean, we don't say, oh, wow, I want to get married so I can grow and be stretched in my faith. No, no, no. Today, most of us marry for romantic love. We marry for the dream. Even Christians. The Western world's fairy tale kind of love. The you-complete-me kind of love. The Nancy Myers rom-com happily ever after kind of love. Well, that's maybe understandable. It's certainly appealing. And it's going to be a dream come true, right? That's what every couple thinks as they walk toward that altar. And when God ordained marriage, he did intend it as a blessing. I mean, it was going to offer lifelong companionship and a supportive partnership. It was going to offer emotional, social, and sexual fulfillment. It was going to offer children and a family. Those are all part of God's plan for marriage. But sin introduced selfishness into the equation, and selfishness is at the core of every single marital problem you'll ever have. Now, today I'm sharing a simple solution to our struggles with selfishness. It's a lesson with the potential of giving you some real peace, even in the middle of conflict, and of empowering you to take positive, constructive action in your marriage. So here's today's lesson. Whenever you experience conflict in your marriage, Decide to work only on yourself and never on your spouse.
Now, maybe like me, you're going to need a little tough love on this subject. <laughs> so for tough love, I love going back to the old writers from almost 100 years ago because they didn't, um, you know, they didn't dish it out easy. They told you the truth in pretty clear terms. So I don't know if you've ever heard of Oswald Chambers and his famous devotional called My Utmost for His Highest. But in that devotional, for August 1st, he writes this, Are we playing the spiritual amateur providence in others' lives? Are we so noisy in our instruction of others that God cannot get anywhere near them? We have to keep our mouths shut and our spirits alert. God wants to instruct us in regard to His Son. He wants to turn our times of prayer into mounts of transfiguration, and we will not let Him. When we are certain of the way God is going to work, He will never work that way anymore. So, you see what I mean? That's a little tough love. Are we playing the spiritual amateur providence, or in other words, a little God in the lives of others? Have you been playing the spiritual amateur providence in your spouse's life, trying to point out their sin and flaws, trying to control their behavior by urgings, commands, or manipulation? Well, there is another way. There's a higher way. Decide that you're going to refrain from tinkering with God's sovereign design of another human being. How does the saying go? That's above our pay grade. <laughs> That's not part of our job description, and it's really not part of our skill set. We are no good at this. And when, when did we ever succeed in doing it? Now, think of it this way. Would you ever go in and grab the scalpel from a heart or a brain surgeon? No, I, I don't think so. I don't think we would do that. That would seem so presumptuous. But we seem pretty comfortable pushing in on God's domain. We don't hesitate to try to tinker with our spouse or slash adult kids or all kinds of other people, right? Let's stop trying to play the Holy Spirit in their life and simply focus on listening to Him in our own. And maybe, just maybe, in the resulting quiet in their life, your spouse may be able to hear from God as well. Now, I remember something years ago that I heard Kay Smith. Kay was married to Pastor Chuck Smith, who was the senior pastor at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. And on Fridays, she had a women's Bible study for us every week. And one particular week, she said, and it was kind of a passing comment, but again, it just stood out to me. She said, there's not so much a lack of communication in most marriages, but there is a lack of kindness. Now, think about that. That observation of hers has stayed with me for all these years because I really believe she's right. So what does kindness look like in the middle of marital problems? Well, the first thing is, it begins with humility. Enough humility to simply take the hands-off approach to our spouse 
and refocus our attention and energies on our own spiritual condition, our own walk with the Lord, our own application of Scripture to our own lives, and focus in on those things so that we can grow spiritually beyond where we are right now. You know, your spouse may be in the wrong, partially or completely, but you are not the one responsible or able to correct them. And the more you try, I promise you, the worse the situation will become. Now, let's try a little empathy exercise here. And I want you to reverse the roles and ask yourself if you like someone trying to change you. Someone reminding you of something over and over again, demanding something over and over again, that you do things in their way or that you act and think in the same way they do, that you conform to their uh, desires or dictates about things large and small. I mean, let's tell the truth. We hate that, right? (laughs) Well, so does your spouse. So does anyone. And I remember Billy Graham's wife, Ruth, she shared the old adage that if two people always think alike, one of them is redundant. Well, the differences that we have with our spouse They don't have to result in constant combat because there will be differences. The two of you are never going to think alike about everything. So let's look at some scriptures that I think pertain to this. And the context of these scriptures is that they're given to, they're written to the church. So they are to govern the interaction between believers But don't make the mistake of thinking that they don't apply every bit as much to our marriage relationships. The truth is, if you're a believer, these admonitions, these exhortations cover every relationship, every interpersonal interaction in your life. So they're from Ephesians chapter 4. The first is in verse 1, and the second is in verse 32. Paul says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love. Bearing with one another in love. Sometimes you feel like you're bearing them, right? You're carrying them around, but you're bearing with them in love. Ephesians 4.32, and be kind to one one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. You know, your calling as a believer sets the standard for how you act and conduct yourself. It calls you to act the way Christ would, with humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance in love, with tenderheartedness, and freely forgiving as you have been forgiven. Now, I can't promise you that by living out this truth, every single conflict will just evaporate or that every dispute will turn out the way you want. But I can promise you this, that you'll find peace when you apply this truth to your own relationships because you'll be walking in fellowship with Jesus. And as you practice listening to the Holy Spirit and regarding your own heart and conduct, 
you'll find that spiritual insight and spiritual strength to grow and to change and to become a little more like your Lord with each passing day. Now, there's a companion truth from Proverbs that I have also found to be true in all of my relationship experiences. And this is Proverbs 16, 7. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with them. Now, not that your spouse is the enemy, but you get the idea here. God is saying, when your ways please me, I'll make even your enemies to be at peace with you. So I'm inviting you to give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to influence you, to reshape your heart, and by extension, to affect a change in your marriage. Because God is changing us, right? That is the big overarching work of sanctification, the work that God is engaged in in you and I between the time when we come to Christ and the time when we go home to be with him or he comes for us, one of the two. In the interim time, in that great in-between time, God is at work in us. He who began a good work in us will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And that great work is conforming us to the image of his Son. And he uses the closest relationships in our lives as the backdrop, or I like to think of it as the workbench, if you will, for that work. That's how God works in us most often, is through the relationships that we have. Now, in their book, How People Change, Paul David Tripp and Timothy S. Lane share a little bit of um, the prayer that Paul makes for the Ephesians in chapter one of that epistle to them. And I want to focus in on this and then share a little bit more of what they write in their book. So this prayer is from Ephesians 1. Paul says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power toward us who believe. Now, in talking about the Holy Spirit, this is one of the things we have to recognize. This is what he does. He enlightens our heart so that we can know the hope to which he has called us. That great hope is that we will ultimately be completely redeemed, body, soul, and spirit. That you and I will be made like Christ from the inside out. In fact, the scripture talks about it, that God promises he will put a new heart within us, one that responds to him. That is how, if you've ever read the scripture and kind of had that, what I call the burning heart experience, you know God is speaking to you and you decide to let that scripture find a home in your heart and become part of the way you live. That is this work of sanctification. And that work is carried out in us by the indwelling Holy Spirit. He is sent to give us that new heart. He's the one doing that work within us. Now, they go on to say, nothing could be more hopeful and freeing than the picture that we have in this passage 
My life is not determined by my upbringing, my physiology, my culture, my emotions, or anything else, because God has made every provision to address my most fundamental need, redemption. And I can have confidence and joy that change is absolutely possible for me. My biggest problem and hindrance, which is my wayward, sinful heart, has been addressed. God has redeemed me and given me a new heart. Now, they go on to provide a list of self-examination questions, and I found these super, super encouraging, and that's why I'm sharing them with you. Because, you know, it's easy for us to get a little discouraged in the middle of the process of sanctification and in the minor chaos of marriage struggles, too especially if we take that step to stop focusing on trying to change our spouses and pivot to looking at ourselves, we can make the mistake of kind of overcorrecting and only focusing on our own frequent failures. You know, always just looking at how short we come of what we know God wants for us. Well, We began this episode with that advice that I gave you to stop trying to change your spouse and instead get focused on what the Holy Spirit is doing in your own heart. But I think this list of questions actually helps us to do that. I believe that we'll see there has been progress. And here are some of the questions that they offered. How are you responding to life's circumstances? Where do you see the good fruit in your life? Where, for example, have you been patient with someone who tempts you to anger? What recent difficult situation has tested you and yet proven your faith genuine? So then they suggest that you choose one of these and reflect on the kind of heart that produces such fruit. And in what way did you rest in and rely on your Redeemer? What specific things were you repenting of or believing in that energized and encouraged you to take action? And what new truths about your Savior began to fill your heart and transform your life? See, aren't those great? Because when we begin to seek out God's Word, work in our own hearts, he will gladly do it. When we seek for him to make a change in us, he's ready. And when we gaze on Christ as the one that we want to be like, the Holy Spirit will continually carry on that work of conforming us to his image. And when you and I take even the smallest steps to surrender control of the circumstances and outcomes in our lives by simply taking our cares in faith to the throne of God, he will take them up, and his promise is that he will perfect the things that pertain to us. That's Psalm 138.8. Now, I want to share another awesome promise with you from God's Word. This is Hebrews 4.14-16. It says, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. 
This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. Another version says, come boldly to the throne of grace. I love that. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Mm. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you for this reminder of how compassionate you are. And Lord, that you do understand our weaknesses. You absolutely get our frailty and you can sympathize with our testings and our struggles. You help us to hold firmly to what we've believed in. And in that faith, you've invited us to come boldly before the throne of grace, seeking mercy and grace in our moments of need. Jesus, thank you for being there. Thank you for inviting us and meeting us there. Amen. Well, hey, I'm on Instagram at Kelly J. Grace. And if you'd like some new ideas about improving your marriage, you can check out a free resource on my website. It's called 25 Tips for a Better Marriage Now. You'll find it on the blog page at kellyjgrace.com. And I want to ask, are you a parent, a Christian parent? Well, then you're going to want to tune in next time for episode six, What Makes Christian Parenting Christian. So thanks again for listening. And a thanks to those of you who have shared the podcast with your friends or left a review. It really helps so much. And I will see you next time.